And I think the thing that like made it harder was how many people will say things like, oh, this is such a magical time. And I'm thinking like this at times is like a living hell because you just see, it's like you couldn't, I couldn't escape seeing visions of my baby dead. And then when people are saying like, this is the best time, I'm thinking like, well, this is terrible. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. just a quick heads up about today's episode. We're speaking with a New York mother who spent her maternity leave attending our weekly postpartum support group. In the postpartum session she attended before the recording of this episode, Lisa shared out loud for the first time the full extent of the intrusive thoughts that have been haunting and terrifying her postpartum. Lisa is a teacher and prior to having a baby loved trail running and traveling with her husband, Eric. When women suffer from a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder, such as postpartum anxiety, depression, or psychosis, she can suffer from intrusive thoughts. Some of the most textbook common examples include a fear of drowning the baby in the bath, imagining yourself or someone else dropping the baby or falling down the stairs, having scary visions of what might happen if someone else carries or cares for the baby, or imagining yourself or someone else harming the baby with a knife. For Lisa, her intrusive thoughts included a few of these, and especially a fear of knives. Lisa volunteered to speak with us about her struggle, and we hope you'll benefit from this episode by hearing her story. One important takeaway is that a formal diagnosis isn't as important as keeping a check on how the mother or parent is feeling. And these conditions don't only affect the birth mother, they can affect the partner or father as well, but it is typically the caregiver of the baby. Persistent tears, anxiety, intrusive thoughts, OCD or rage are always a warning sign and may mean she needs 24-hour support. There's a difference between sadness and suffering. Suffering is a crisis in your household. If the mother expresses a fear of being alone with the baby, Imagine her words up on a billboard. Cries for help are usually stifled because the more shame and guilt we feel, the quieter we are. Also, the right therapist and support group is life-changing and at times life-saving. Support is abundant and when you have a baby, you and your partner should immediately consider it your part-time job to find the right support. If you don't know where to start, contact Postpartum Support International at one 800 nine four 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 seven seven three. You can commit it to memory. It's nine four 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 PPD. We'd love to hear from you after you listen to this episode through Instagram or our website. With any questions or comments, 
or in particular, any messages you'd like us to relay back to Lisa. She came here today not for her sake and not for ours, but only because she hopes her story might reach someone who needs to hear it most. Now, on to our episode. Lisa, thank you for being with us today. Um, You've been in our Life After Birth postpartum support group for several months, I guess since December or so. And Tuesday was your last session with us because you're returning to work. And it definitely felt like cutting the experience short. At least it did to me. It did it feel that way to you? Yes. Um, I get teary eyed. I feel like every time I'm talking in the group or here, but um, it feels like it's cut short, but I'm surviving. Um, the first two days back to work, I was okay. And yeah, so I definitely benefited from the group. I can say that. I guess what I want to talk about today is, I mean, you tell me, but I feel like starting from a place of, you know, you had this wonderful home birth um, and then postpartum definitely caught you off guard. And are you willing to just jump in the middle and talk about that? Yeah. Um, I guess when I was pregnant, I had a little bit of concern that I might have postpartum issues. Um, sorry, I have tissues already. Um, I remember like while I was pregnant, every now and then I would like cry, like have crying spells, worrying that I wouldn't like being your mom. Um, which is weird because I'm a teacher and I've worked with kids like age two to 14 or 15 and I like teaching and I like being with kids and I don't know why I had this like concern that once once I had a baby that I might not like being a mom. I guess I was just nervous that I wouldn't enjoy being a mom. It took us nine months of trying like to get pregnant. And during that nine months, I was going back and forth of like, okay, if I have any fertility issues, I don't want to get like medical interventions. I'm too emotional and I don't think I can handle that. So I was constantly in my head going back and forth of like, if I can't get pregnant, my life will be fine. Like I, I convinced myself like very well, like every time that I didn't have a positive test that we can travel and we can have a really nice life. And then finally, funny enough, I took the pregnancy test the day before we were going to book a big trip and it was positive. And like in that moment, I started questioning, like, did I really want this? Like, is it just society's expectations saying like, you should be a mom. So that's why I'm doing this. And I, I like, I was crying, like kind of happiness and kind of nervousness and just all different emotions. I guess I was just back and forth in my head a lot, trying to keep myself calm, but I I don't think it was actually keeping me calm. And then while I was pregnant, I would just sometimes have like crying spells of thinking I might not like it. And then you hear so many people like say things like, um, you'll have an amazing bond with your baby. Like everything is so magical. And some people love pregnancy and I felt sick the whole time and I was sick and uncomfortable and I was excited to have a baby. But then even, um, when people talk about like, oh, the first hour after you give birth is like this amazing rush of emotions and everything. And it's just this amazing hour. And I didn't know what to expect. And 
the hour after I gave birth was good. Like it was, it was very peaceful and it was lovely. And, but even at that time, I don't know if this is like a, I, I don't know if this was a sign or what, but I was convinced in that hour that, um, you know, when a baby's eyes are closed and you can't see their eyelet, like their eyeballs or like their eyelashes or the crease of their eyes. I was convinced in that hour that like we had a baby with one eye. Um, I don't know. Um, and I wasn't upset. Like right now I'm crying, but I wasn't actually upset in that hour. I was happy. I was like, oh, it's fine. Like, we'll we'll take care of him. And we'll do whatever we have to do. Like I was at peace with it, but I was, I guess, already convinced that there was something wrong. Um, so that was, I don't know, interesting kind of looking back on that. And then... Lisa, let's slow down for a second. Okay. What, do you, what was happening there, do you think? Do you think it was just a classic intrusive thought? Do you think that you were seeing things other people weren't seeing? Did you say anything to the midwife? Did you say anything to your partner? Or did you yeah. just keep it in? No, I... I was like truly convinced that one of his eyeballs just wasn't there and that like his eyelid was just an eyelid cover. Like his eyes were just closed and he had no eyeball. So um, I mentioned it to my husband and he was like, no, I think he's fine. And I was still not convinced. So I asked um, a midwife and she's like, no, I think he's fine. And in my head, I'm still like, I'm still thinking like, I'm not getting a definitive answer. Like I'm getting, I think he's fine. Mm. Um, right. And then once he opened his eye, I was like, okay, they were right. Good. Um, but it didn't, it didn't occur to me that that was even that unusual, like to have that thought. Like, I, I don't know. I, it didn't seem weird to me to, that I was thinking that way, but obviously he has two working eyeballs and he's fine and everybody else was correct. And, um, so Lisa, we started working together like when he was maybe six, seven, eight weeks old mm -hmm. um, around the holidays, I guess, mid-December, I think. What, yeah. what started, what did you start noticing in the following weeks? So people say like, oh, it's normal to be emotional. And I have always been emotional. So I guess I just thought like, okay, the first two weeks, it's normal to cry a lot. And I did over like everything. And I was like, that's fine. That's normal. But it kind of continued. And when you ask, I think Eric, my husband, was kind of questioning, like, is this normal, the amount that I'm crying or not? But you ask other people and they're like, oh, my gosh, it's so normal. Like, it's so normal to cry. But part of me was also thinking, like, I don't know if other people really do cry this much. But everybody just keeps saying, like, oh, it's normal if it's like a welcome release of tears or if it's... um I don't know. Everybody just made it sound like it's very common. It's very normal and that I'm okay. Are we talking in the first couple of weeks here or, or is this that um, this at the six or seven week point that Cynthia? It was like six or seven weeks at this point, I think. Okay. Um, so you've been crying for a long time. Yeah, on and off for a long time. And um, it just felt like everybody was saying this is common and normal. And I had asked my husband, like while I was pregnant, I had told him like if if you think I have, sorry, any like postpartum anything, please be the one to reach out to our midwives. And so I had said that like, I don't know when, when I was pregnant, I had just asked him to do that, like just in case. And I think it was our six week appointment. 
all the questions that they were asking on like the postpartum screening, I could answer fine. Like, I don't know, like nothing on that would trigger any red flags for me. Um, I guess the hardest part that it took me a while to like realize um, what was happening were the intrusive thoughts. Um, they were horrible and I didn't know what they were. Um, so the first time that I had one, I remember Russell was on a changing table in our kitchen. And Cynthia, you mentioned this in the um, postpartum support group, but there was a knife on the counter. And I had just like this flash image of me stabbing him with a knife. And the first time it happened, I was thinking like, that's weird. I kind of like just, I don't know. It was just like a weird one-time thing. But then it happened like again and again. And then it went from seeing like either myself or someone else harming a baby, my baby with a knife to like a pen to scissors. Like I was cutting uh, wrapping paper and like scissors, like having like this flash imagery of scissors stabbing a baby or a pen or there was a screwdriver one day or like nail clippers like anything sharp that could hurt a baby there were like these flash graphic images of those things hurting him and it was either a flash image of me doing it or somebody else doing it or just like the thing itself hurting the baby and I guess when they were happening repeatedly in my head I didn't know what they were and I was concerned that like, this is your brain's first sign that you're going to hurt your baby. Like, is this like a warning? Lisa, um, did you tell anyone? At the time? No, not until I think it was like a, it might've only been a few days after the six week postpartum checkup that I think I had like several days where I was just crying so much that Eric actually reached out to the midwives and they were really great. She asked, our midwife asked if I would like to speak to her on the phone or come in and talk in person or if I would rather like message her everything. So I ended up just writing everything that was going on in my head and she responded suggesting like I have a support group. I should see a therapist and she offered she said if you want medicine there is like medication you could take that can be taken while breastfeeding but the thought of anxiety medicine gives me anxiety too so like that I don't know it just makes me nervous what a lot of women do when they start to have when they even come nearer the experience of postpartum psychosis or having thoughts like that one step they sometimes take is to hide all the knives because they do believe it's a possibility or just looking at them can trigger it how, what what did you do? What happened for you? When I was having a lot of the thoughts really badly, if I was holding Russell, I would not go near. If I know there's a knife, like I would walk far around it. Um, did you tell Eric this, your husband? Not not for a while. Do you know why you didn't tell him? Um, honestly, this is the first time that I'm actually like saying this out loud. Even when I told Eric, it was in writing, like saying it out loud 
And even when I wrote it, I would sob. Even my husband knows when he reached out to the midwife, like his first thing to say was like, I don't think Lisa's going to commit suicide. And I know she's not going to hurt the baby, but there is something happening. I was pretty convinced that like, I'm, I'm okay. Like I'm, I'm not going to kill myself or the baby. And I, but then part of me is wondering, like, are these thoughts your brain's way of warning you that you are going to go crazy soon? And really, Cynthia, I feel like it was your group when, when you were, you were the one who was able to like identify this as an intrusive thought, even though I didn't say exactly what was happening. I guess at the time before I had understood what they are, I was, I guess I was scared that if I didn't tell somebody and get help, what could happen. So in my head, I was thinking like, okay, if this is a warning sign of something terrible happening, I guess part of what I was also struggling with was like this fear that if I'm not with the baby, someone's going to lose their patience and hurt the baby. It was really hard. And I don't even think I, I don't think I've said this to my husband because it doesn't make sense when you're convinced that like, okay, if I'm not there, someone's going to lose their patience and kill him, the baby, or they're going to trip and drop the baby or, um, like I need to be there with him all the time. And I feel like that sounds so hurtful to like, if I were to say to my husband, I'm worried you're gonna kill our baby. Like that's not logical. Like there's no evidence that supports that thought. And for like, when my parents come over, I keep our house cleaner than I've kept it before because I'm worried people are gonna trip and fall over things while holding Russell. You know what I, you know, Lisa, can I jump in here? Yes. You spend a lot of time alone. Do you agree? Yes. And you, this whole experience, you've been alone a lot. Yes. This is one reason it's possible. The process has been going this way because as soon as anyone knew, as soon as you wrote it down once, what we would want for any woman is to just become surrounded by family or people who are making sure she's not alone. And I feel like the bar was, if I may say so, I feel like the bar is sometimes so low. Like, wait, is she going to commit suicide? Is she going to hurt the baby? No? Okay, we're good. I feel like that's very accurate. Um, When those like postpartum screenings happen, I think I was at the pediatrician and they were asking me and... I think I responded like, I don't know what the questions are, but I'm seeing a therapist and I'm in a postpartum support group and I'm not going to kill myself or hurt the baby. Like, I feel like that's all they cared about. And like, that was the end of the discussion. Once you said you were doing the things, right? Like I'm doing all the things I'm, I'm not, the standard is really low. I, I don't know. Like, I guess even like if you Google or look into like postpartum depression or anxiety, I'm like, I don't know if I have it. Like I, according to these checkpoints, like maybe I just have intrusive thoughts and like, that's like this other thing that 
some people get. Um, this is the problem with labels because you can torment yourself thinking, do I have postpartum depression? Oh my God, is it postpartum psychosis? Is this normal? What's the difference when we really think about it, right? What we know is here's a woman who is suffering, right? You're suffering. We're not supposed to suffer. And I think when you shared what you were going through, if you had had much more company and support, more invested from your household into you, so that you're not alone and you're talking all the time and you're not trying to comfort yourself with whatever you're researching and the check boxes like in a support group, in therapy, doing all I can do. The next question is, do I want medication? Yes or no. It's like, there's so much more we can do. You can be communicating with so many more people, having people in the house supporting you. It could have changed this entire experience for you if the bar weren't so very low and people weren't only thinking of these check boxes. We shouldn't think it's acceptable for women to suffer through their postpartum. And it's natural. You know, I always say when uh, a couple is pregnant, um, it's so natural for the partner to say, like, if you ask that couple, what do you want for your birth? It's so normal for the partner to say, I just want a healthy outcome. And for the, the, the birthing parent to say, I want that and so much more. Yes, I want a healthy outcome more than I want anything in the world. I also don't want to be bullied. I don't want to be scared. I don't want to be pushed around. I actually just might want a good experience here. I'm, I want a happy birth, birth story to tell. I want A, B, C, D. In postpartum, it's the same thing. It's like we can't just say a healthy outcome, a healthy outcome. Every expecting parent deserves access to a certified doula, no matter their budget, birth plan, or location. This is the idea behind the digital doula program, Beautiful Births and Beyond. Their on-demand doula program includes access to online classes and 24-7 birthing and postpartum support via text or video. Book a free consultation with Beautiful Births founder, Colleen Myatt, and receive 20% off an hour of digital doula support. Visit beautifulbirthsandbeyond.com and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. DOWNTOBIRTH is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E.com and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. What you said in the beginning, Lisa, that so many people said to you six, seven weeks out that it's just normal to be crying every other day is just such, you know, proof in the pudding of how people don't understand what postpartum, they don't know what to do. They don't understand what postpartum is really supposed to be like. And when it's, when it's what it is not supposed to be like, and that should have been a, that should have been a clue to so many people. Yeah. And I think the thing that like made it harder was how many people will say things like oh this is such a magical time like the way people talk about it and I'm thinking like this at times is like a living hell because you just see it's like you couldn't I couldn't escape seeing visions of my baby dead and then 
when people are saying like, this is the best time, I'm thinking like, well, this is terrible. So I hope it gets better. Um, and I feel like it probably took me like a few weeks into the postpartum support group to finally just like accept like, I don't like the newborn stage. That's like one thing, postpartum anxiety or not. Like I, and obviously like I love my baby and I love Russell, but I just think it's insane that so many people try to like almost shame you into loving every moment of the newborn stage. And finally, when he started smiling at me, and it was definitely like a smile at me. I feel like there was like a second wind of like, okay, I can do this. Like I have a relationship with my baby. Um, that's not just this immense responsibility that I have. It's like an actual relationship forming that helped. But I feel like there's just people talk so much about, I don't know, that you should just have this magical moment the entire postpartum experience. And then when you say you're crying a lot or you're emotional, it's, oh, that's normal. And you should be cherishing every moment. And then you start thinking like, what's wrong with me? Because I'm not. Finally, when I just accepted, like, I prefer toddlers and older. <laughs> um, and now that Russell is responsive, I, I love it. But um, it took a while to be like, this is actually fun. You are not alone in that. Many women feel that way. This is in part why perinatal mood disorders go undiagnosed because of that societal expectation that it shouldn't feel that way. So people don't speak up about it. If I didn't get the support through the, um, through the group and then found the therapist and like had like all these things in place and found people that I can talk to, it would be a lot harder. Like, I, I don't know how I would be doing now. Um, I would say any new mom who is struggling should continually advocate for herself and find support systems that she's comfortable with and keep searching until she finds them because there are a lot of supports out there. And a lot of times nobody else will be able to advocate for you, except you because they won't know what you're going. Like the only person who knows what you're going through is you. So I feel like keep searching until you find a support system that you like and don't give up until you do. So Lisa, what do you wish that you could say to anyone listening or what do you wish new moms could know? I wish that there were more honest conversations about postpartum struggles and challenges for new moms. I wish more moms knew that they're not alone in how they feel and that there are so many struggling moms who are desperate to hear that someone is going through the same thing as them. And I wish that even moms who are having the darkest thoughts and the biggest doubts about motherhood know that things are going to get better and they can still develop the closest, most loving and wonderful bond with their baby. I think the reason I wanted to do this episode is because moms who are struggling deserve to know they're not alone and they deserve to know there are so many brighter days ahead that they're going to fall in love with their baby and they're doing an amazing job and there are so many people that are going through the same exact feelings that they have. You are not alone. 
If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Show or contact us and review show notes at downtobirthshow.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. When he's home, it's so much easier to get everything done and to stay calm. Um, it's just really hard when he is out of the house a lot because it's isolating. Outside of the postpartum support group and therapy, which we know are both essential and extremely helpful, was there anything that you did for yourself that made a difference? Whether it be a meditation or taking a walk or some sort of ritual? Um, I tried to get outside and go for a walk every day. And the acronym EMBODY is what Cynthia had shared. Um, exercise, meditate, oh. breathe, get outside, journal or dump, and yoga. You did that faster than I do it. Okay.